It's so good to be here together. I have to admit, I love it and uh, love, love seeing everybody here. And there's just such encouragement and strength that we gather from being together. If you're watching from your home or your car or on, uh, even at the lake, we're glad you've joined us through our online campus as well. And we pray that God will meet you right where you're at as well. We, uh, I'm going to take my mask off for a moment. Uh, evidently, it's allowed when you're presenting and speaking, um, as long as you're like good distance away. But we're constantly trying to keep up with the CDC guidelines and the, you know, uh, listening to our community, listening to Bob Lutz, uh, our regional health director, and you know our state health department. We're always trying to kind of stay up with it to say how do we keep our environment safe? How do we gather together? Because it's allowed that we gather. We want to continue this privilege of gathering. Thank you for wearing your masks. Uh, it, it really does help, and uh, it's, it's great to be together. So we'll continue to do that and provide this option, because for some people, it's like this is a needed option that we have not had. And then others who are watching online, maybe uh, because of still some concerns you have or some real health uh, kind of concerns, or even just not being quite comfortable yet, that's okay. We're glad you're joining us as well from uh, from our online campus. And so we, we like options. Thanks for being a flexible church and a grace-filled church where we're able to give grace to one another, knowing that everybody doesn't have to look at it like through my lens or your lens, right? That there's this allowance to be able to see that, hey, we're in an unprecedented time and we need to have a lot of grace for one another, uh, knowing that we all have differences of thought and opinion and feelings about what's going on right now. But hey, we are here, and we're going to get into God's Word. We're in a series called Scattered. We've been looking at the book of Acts and going chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And it's been a, just a fascinating study as we've gone through it because the reason why is because it relates so much to where we are today. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. We need the empowerment of God's Spirit in us and in our life right now. And no matter wh uh, where you're going through, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is there for you. Jesus hung on the cross. He, he died. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended to heaven, and he sent back the Spirit to live in our lives and to give us something beyond just human resource. And I need that. You need that, especially in these kind of days that we live in. We need the encouragement that comes from the Holy Spirit and the power that comes from him. Well, in our book uh, of Acts that we've been studying, we see the Holy Spirit empowering the church. We see the church growing and multiplying. We see a persecuted church. We've seen a church that's been bridging racial divides. We've seen a church uh, that's been extending into the Gentile regions uh, all the way to Antioch so far. And today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 12 and, look ab and talk about a praying church. A praying church. Prayer, not just as like an add-on to your Christian walk, but an essential to seeing God move in powerful ways in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our businesses, and in our city. Most people tend to stick with safe prayers, you know, the kind, God bless my food. God, give me travel mercies. God, give me that front row parking place up, you know, in front of uh, the AMC mall. And we tend to avoid the dangerous prayers. 
Prayers that call for deep level change inside us or even in the circumstances surrounding us. You see, every major season of an awakening where the Christian message, where the message of God's grace, the gospel, goes out into a college campus or a, the workplace or within a church or a community, it happens because of prayer. Persistent, earnest praying. Every single time. The, uh, in our life group, we read a book called Dangerous Prayers. I don't know if any of you have ever read that before. Dangerous Prayers, uh, written by Craig Rochelle. It's a great book, kind of talking about his own journey, about how he went from pr being pretty intimidated about praying, being, feeling very insecure around praying, especially around other people. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I, re I remember that quite well, feeling intimidated because you get around people that they know the Bible really well and they just feel so confident in praying and they know how to pray, pray long prayers and tie in all kinds of like Bible passages and then end it with in Jesus name. And it's like, ooh, you're just kind of growing in your prayer time and it's like, that's new, that's a little different. And Craig's talking about this, the power prayer and he kind of lists these different ones. And then there's the competitive prayer, you know, and he said he often fell into that category. He said in his book, I frequently experienced this kind of prayer one-upmanship with my roommate. He'd pray loud and long, sounding so sure of himself, and he'd display this vast knowledge of God and the Bible. And so Craig said, feeling pressure not to be outdone, I'd up my game, but usually found myself taking it too far. Since I didn't know much about the Bible then, I'd just kind of roll with things that sounded really good and Bible-like. He'd pray, God, you said in your word that you're not only Jehovah Jireh, but you're also Jehovah um, Nisan, Nisan. Yeah. And Lord, you're good. You are good to the last drop. And your word is so sweet like honey on our lips and it tastes so good it's like melts in your mouth and not in your hands <laughs> like a good neighbor god you always there you got to be careful right when you're praying kind of the one-upmanship competitive praying you can get yourself into some deep water there we get tripped up when we compare our own prayer life to other people because God isn't interested in the long and the flowery and the religious. He's, he's interested in the heart that's, that's authentic, that's real, and that's passionate. Sometimes we pray things and they don't happen the way we feel they should have. And it's easy to feel disappointed. It's easy to feel even like, why pray if God's not going to do it like I prayed it? And we need encouragement, don't we? I mean... Especially in the days that we live in, we kind of know we should be praying, but it's so easy to just be caught up in all the circumstances and all of the busyness and the stressors that are going on right now, rather than spend time praying. Samuel Chadwick, in the path of prayer, said this. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion, 
He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. And so we're going to look this morning at Acts 12 at prevailing prayer, a church that prays, people who pray, and we're going to see what God does and how God works through that prayer. But first, remember from last week, the church was multiplying into the non-Jewish communities like Antioch. Saul and Barnabas spent a year there teaching. There was these great things happening, many people coming to faith. Joy was released. The grace of God was tangible and felt. The poor were being cared for. The Christians were first called Christians in Antioch. Acts chapter 11 tells us that. And here they are doing good for the city. God is good. Things are happening. And then all hell breaks loose in Acts 12. Starting in verse 1, about that time. What time? The time it was all going well. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life where you get these breakthroughs, things are happening, God is good. And then all of a sudden the carpet gets pulled out from underneath and you're wondering, where did this come from? Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James was one of the very first disciples who followed Jesus. And on this particular day, he was beheaded. And when, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he was a people pleaser, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Earnest prayer made for Peter by the church. See, we need each other. There's something powerful that happens when we pray together. I love praying alone. I love developing that relationship with God just by myself. I love to read the scripture and pray and sometimes journal. And there's a powerful thing that happens in having a personal devotional time with God. But it is no replacement for where we gather together in praying together. There's power released when God's people come together. That's one of the reasons we're here this morning, is to worship together, to pray together, to hear God's word together. There's certain things that happen as we're together, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But it was earnest prayer. It was an earnest prayer. What does earnest mean? It means an unceasing, continuous it means fervent and passionate praying. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, in other words, bring him out to behead him, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Peter was tied up or handcuffed to these two guards, one on each side with sentries at the door. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell and struck Peter on the side and woke him up. And the word struck means like he punched him. He hit him. He woke him up. And he said, get up quickly. 
and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was, was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. He's thinking he's like living out this dream. When he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. I mean, this is crazy, miraculous stuff. This is like better than the Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is like a movie, huh? Verse 11, when Peter came to him and he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. They were expecting to watch a beheading, an execution, another Christian martyr. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, who was a friend of his, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. They were praying. They were praying and not giving up. They were praying unceasingly. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but she ran back and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Peter escaped from prison, ready to be beheaded, and he's waiting out in the alley for someone to let him in because she's so excited and freaking out, she goes back to tell the other people and he's sitting there twiddling his thumbs going, uh, can I come in? They said to her, the disciples who were in there praying, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, no, it's probably just his angel. Like, he's already dead. It's like a ghost. And that's probably what you saw. But Peter continues to knock. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and he went to another place. Crazy story. I want you to see three important things about earnest prayer. Some things that we see in the story, things that we can do in our own life. Number one, talk to God whenever you're afraid. These disciples were afraid, legitimately afraid. Afraid of their future, afraid that their friend, their leader, Peter, one of the key apostles of the early church, was going to be beheaded. They were afraid of an oppressive government. They were afraid of the future of the church. They were afraid and they talked to God about it. What are you afraid of this morning? I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot out there to create fear, to stir fear up in our lives. Maybe it's your savings account dwindling. Maybe it's the coronavirus, just the fear of catching it or knowing one of your family members whose health is compromised or who's elderly and you're, you're concerned for them, you're afraid, or losing your job. Or that the crisis will never end. It'll just keep going for another year or two. How much of your time is invested in fueling this obsession with the news? 
watching whatever your favorite news channel is, Fox News, CNN News, whatever news, whatever social media kind of keeps you constantly like an intravenous supply of facts, figures, graphs, information, negativity. It can fuel fear in your life. I mean, I like to keep up with it. I like to keep up with it, but man, we got to be careful. We got to be careful because it can just fuel these feelings and thoughts and opinions and, and stress, and it sucks the very life out of your soul. How much time is with news-related stuff and how much is with God's Word? Just think in your mind, how much are you giving to each? Is your main meal the news? Or is your main meal the Word of God in prayer? Snacking on the news. Keeping up to date quickly with it. It can turn into an obsession. And it can really be something that gets in the way of your spiritual walk. Eugene Peterson in his book, Answering God, How to Pray the Psalms, points two kinds of praying in the Psalms. Uh, evening prayer and morning prayer. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the Psalms, but it's there. Psalm 4 is a great example of an evening prayer. So there's these evening prayers, and this is one written by David. David commits to God the things he's worrying about in evening prayer. People that are bothering him, things that are making him angry, things that are stressing him out, reminding himself of the promises of God. Morning prayer, a little bit different. Morning prayer, a great example, is Psalm 5, the very next psalm. It's active prayer. It's bold praying. It's aggressive praying. It's intentional praying. It's praying for an extension of God's kingdom. It's praying against evil. It's a, pray, it's a different kind of praying. And we see in Acts 12 both kinds of prayer. This is this committing of this worry to God, but it's also praying for God's kingdom to reign. Look at just this Psalm 4, the evening prayer example that David wrote. He said this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isn't that amazing? You know, we noticed Peter. You know what he was doing as he was chained to these guards? Sleeping. What an incredible picture of trust in the midst of the most dire circumstances that he was able to sleep. How's your sleep? I'm talking about the kind of sleep where we can commit our worries, our anxieties, and our fears to God. And then we, by entrusting those to him, we're able to give ourselves permission to rest and know that God is in control. I can sleep. He said, no, you know, God's word says no good thing will he withhold from those who trust him. We know that we can rest because we have a heavenly father who knows us, loves us, and is concerned even over the details of our life. That he's directing our steps and he's already in our future. Can I encourage you to just start uh, praying at night before you go to bed and just Release those anxieties, those fears of the future, the things that are happening in your life right now to God. Uh, I struggle when I go to bed because when I go to bed, my mind just wakes up. And I can 
often just start recounting things in the day or things that I'm worried about for tomorrow. One of the things that has helped me is I got, got this app called Abide, and it's this cool app that I listen to at night that helps me pray. And uh, matter of fact, Psalm 4 is one of them that is in there. They keep it refreshed. But um, I like to just listen to God's word and, and, and pray and release those anxieties that I have before I go to bed. Psalm 5 is a great example of a morning prayer. David said, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. See, it's a different kind of praying. It's praying for the day ahead. It's praying, kind of dressing for battle. It's praying God's will. It's praying against things. It's praying for things. Morning prayer is active, petitionary prayer. It's marked by boldness in praying. It's rebellion against the status quo. You see, the early church, these disciples knew that it was God's will for the church, for the kingdom of God to extend even if Peter was killed, that it would not kill the church. What are you praying for? How is your prayer life? Do you pray just for the things you need, or do you pray the things that matter to God? Marriage and family, for example. You know, we can pray certain things and know we are in God's will. There, there are times I pray for things I'm not 100% certain. I mean, let's be real. Sometimes I pray for things I want, Sometimes I pray for perceived needs. Sometimes I pray in a way that I want God to do it a certain way. But there are other things where it's like, no, this is God's will. I can pray this with confidence and boldness. Like, for example, your marriage. He wants you to stay married. He wants your marriage to flourish. He, wants, he does not want anything to divide you as a married couple. You can pray, even if your marriage is broken and hurting, you can pray in faith for God's will to be done and for that marriage to survive and last and thrive and be healed and get the help it needs. You can pray that with confidence. You can pray over your children with confidence. You can pray over God's saving of other people. God's heart is that all men and women, boys and girls, would come to know him. We can pray that and stand in that place. We can pray for justice to reign and rule, for righteousness in our community in our world, the things that are wrong to be righted, we can pray that because it matters to God and it's his will. Prayer is a powerful thing, especially when we align ourselves with the will of God. Earnest praying, where you pour your heart out to God. You pour out your worries, your anxieties. Earnest praying, where you boldly pray the advance of the kingdom. Earnest praying where you don't stop praying just because you see your friend locked up in prison and the circumstances haven't changed yet. You continue to pray. Jesus taught us to pray earnestly and to pray continuously. You remember when he said, I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And he goes on to say it's because God's a good father and he cares about us. So he says, keep on praying. Peter, he's in prison. The church is praying. They're not giving up. Satan's desire is to divide, 
to kill, to steal, to destroy. And yet, the scripture teaches us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so God is at work. God is making some things happen that we could never make happen on our own. So, every time the church prays, things happen. I want to encourage you in your personal prayer life. I want to encourage us that as we gather together as a church, that we pray and we expect God to do great things. Look at Acts 1. They pray in the upper room for 10 days, right? The Holy Spirit comes in power. Acts 4, they pray. God shakes where they're at, the very ground they're standing on, fills them with boldness, and he begins to turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. Over 10,000 people become uh, Christians. In Acts 12, what we looked at today, they pray and prison doors open up. In the next chapter, next week, we'll talk about Acts 13. They pray and God raises up one of the greatest missionaries ever, Paul the Apostle. All these happen because of earnest praying. So may I just ask you in closing before we pray, where are you locked up in a prison? Who is that for you? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a friend. Where we look at them and we go, man, if they were just more free, they're addicted, or they're bound to a past, a past failure. Or maybe it's a struggle, a financial burden. Or even just looking out and seeing an injustice in the world that just feels like, man, we need freedom there. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Go to God in the, in the evening and pour your heart out to Him and give Him your anxieties. Go to God in the morning and pray boldly for what He wants to do, not only in that day, not only in or through your life, but in the world. And let's pray together. We're going to, next month, we're going to start up another uh, time of monthly praying together. And I want to encourage you, put that on your calendar now. There's something powerful that happens as the church gathers to pray. So whatever it is you need, whoever it is that you feel, you look at their life and you're going, they're just not experiencing God's goodness and grace and freedom yet. Let's pray for them right now. Would you do that? Let's pray. God, we want to come to you right now. We sang about freedom. We sang about how you open doors and how you set captives free. And Lord, we know that's your ministry. We know that that is, takes a miraculous power to heal a human heart. To set us free from addictive cycles of sin. Lord, it takes your power and your grace in our lives. And so right now in this moment, God, we want to pray for those that we're sensing in our life. Maybe it's ourselves, maybe it's a loved one where they need freedom. I want to give you just a moment to do that, would you? Just bring their name up before God or your own name up to God and just ask Him for freedom. Ask Him to move powerfully. Lord, we also want to pray over our anxieties and fears. 
and pour those out to you today because you care about us. You're a good father. And Lord, I know some are here today just wondering and maybe even fearing about what's going to happen with the kids and their schooling coming into the fall. Lord, we pray for, we pray for that. We pray for godly decisions to be made. We pray that you will bring comfort where there's anxiety. We pray for leadership amongst our teachers, administrators, amongst those that are the key decision makers. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would go before us and even our children, that we wouldn't have to worry about that, Lord. We give you these worries today. We pray over our college students, wondering about their school, wondering about their future. We pray, Lord, that you will reveal that you're already in their future. God, that they, nobody can snatch them out of your hand. God, that you are in control and that you care about them. Lord, we cast our cares on you today. Lord, we're, we, we pray for, uh, for this virus that's, that's attacking our cities and our world, and we pray for a healing uh, solution to that. Lord, we pray your spirit would be at work. We pray for the uh, discovery, Lord, of a vaccine. We pray, God, that you will protect those who are vulnerable. We pray, God, we just give you these anxieties that we have, these fears we have, and we ask that you intervene powerfully, Jesus. Lord, we also pray, God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, that things that are out of order, out of whack, things that are unjust happening in our cities and communities today, Lord, in the different realms that we see in this heart cry of our nation right now for racial reconciliation, Lord, we pray for justice and truth to reign. Lord, help us not stumble over any lesser thing, God. We just want your heart. We want your your, your way and your will to be done in that situation. Lord, do something that politics can't do, Lord, that we can't do, we can't figure out. We pray, Lord, that you will get at the very root of it and you will begin to, to turn it around, Lord. We pray, Lord, let your will be done, your kingdom come in our marriages, in our families, with our children. Lord, protect them and bless them. Lord, we ask God, for those who are still without you, who don't know your grace, God, those that are far from you, God, draw them close. We know it's your heart to save those that are lost, those that are, that are struggling in their own sin or in their own purposelessness. Lord, save them, heal them, draw them by your goodness. Thank you, God. Thank you for all of these things and all of these prayers that we're praying this morning, God. Hear our prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for visiting us. We hope you enjoyed your time today. Next week, we will have our services again at 9 and 11 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again.